This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. So tonight I'm going to be doing uh, what I mentioned earlier, the third um, presentation of the Kingdom Seminar that I've been giving to churches around the country. And uh, the second one... uh, Who knows, maybe we'll get to do that at a later time. Uh, This one is what I refer to as the worldview of youth. That's been my world for 30 years, uh, working with Christian schools, uh, K-12 schools mostly, but also Christian colleges and universities on this theme of biblical worldview. Uh, That's that's, uh, what we're about. It's been uh, what Nehemiah Institute has been known for for all these years, uh, particularly the peers test. I had designed this instrument uh, in the 80s as a worldview measurement instrument. And so Christian schools use that across the country and even in some other countries as a gauge of how well they're doing on imparting uh, a biblical worldview. And I'll show you a little bit later, but you know, all Christian schools say that on their website. Some years ago, I started seeing that, that on their website, they would say things like, we provide a biblical worldview for your students, da, 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 da. All of them say it. Very few really do it. Uh, But one of the reasons I have such a joy in working with Dr. Lyons and their organization is because they do do it. In fact, they're the best in the country. Let me go further. They're the best in the world. And what a treasure it is, a five-minute drive from here, to be at the international office of the Christian School Association that really gets it right on how to equip young people with a mature biblical worldview so that they can go off from home and not do what I alluded to this morning when so many young people, after they leave home, they leave church behind. They leave the faith behind. That doesn't happen with their schools, and you'll see tonight why that is the case. I begin this presentation with this gentleman, Jedediah Morris. Care to guess who Jedediah Morris was? Usually that's what people say, the Morris Code guy, you know. No, that would be his son, Samuel F.B. Morris. But Jedediah Morris, very significant figure because um, I say this always, it's kind of silly, that you should know him because you had him as a teacher, or at least you had his curriculum as a teacher. He is the father, known as the father of modern geography in our country, and uh, a pretty amazing man. And the reason I include him in presentations is because he was not only very gifted to do something like be known as the father of modern geography, but he was a very devout Christian. He was a congregational church minister. And like so many of the, of the individuals that we look back to that pioneered different spheres of learning, different disciplines, the sciences, the arts, and medicine, and mathematics, they were Christians. Almost all of them were devout Christians. And they said a lot of things. They wrote a lot of good things in, in addition to the gift that they did, in his case, you know, geography. 
So he had this statement, and I've, I've used this in conferences. Whenever the pillars of Christianity shall be overthrown, our present form of government and all the blessings that flow from them must fall with them. Well, do you think he was looking ahead at today in America? I mean, it is so fitting for what's happening that the pillars of Christianity are, we're seeing that fall in our very lifetime in so many ways. And in its place are pillars of humanistic, new age, socialist idea that we're supposed to believe is the good way to go. His statement reminds me of a verse, one of those verses that again you see as plaques in Christian bookstores, so I know you know this, Psalm 11.3, when the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now that's a question for today, because our foundations are being destroyed. And what are we going to do about that? Are we just going to sit down, stay sat down, and hope somehow that things come out right? Are we just going to pray and pray we should? I mean, we should pray like we haven't prayed in our lifetimes because our nation, this republic, is at risk. But we have to do more. We have to stand. We have to do things that changes what's happening in a legislative sense that is causing all of these new policies to come before us. In my work with independent Baptist churches over the years and their schools, I have been very blessed to learn about AACS, American Association of Christian Schools. It is one of the very few Christian school associations that has a legislative branch to address these issues in Washington. Did you know that? This association that you guys are a part of has a legislative arm, a 501c4, that is regularly lobbying Congress about, about issues related to education. So that's really a very remarkable thing. Let's back up even further. I call the life spheres from the pilgrims. What did the pilgrims, pilgrims come to our shores with regarding worldview? What was, what was their idea of how to build a new world? Because that's what they were doing. They came over on the ship, which was named what? Mayflower. The Mayflower, absolutely, God bless you. And, uh, and uh, came off the ship and here they were Build a country, you know, no big thing, just build a country. Well, they had to have some ideas about how that was supposed to work. And so this is from their writings, you find an illustration that would show how they understood that it was God's design for a civilization to have three primary spheres of life, spheres of functioning for how a society would be built, how it would, how it would work. And of course, the first was the family. Uh, they understood very clearly the biblical family, father, mother, children, responsibilities for education and, and the development of community. Uh, so that was, that was just a given. I mean, that's what Western civilization has been about, and to a large degree, it's what the world has been about, even though most of the world doesn't recognize or give honor to where that comes from. But the two-parent family, father, mother, and children, uh, it's just the way it's supposed to work because that's the way God designed it. The second institution that they clearly understood was the church, uh, with responsibilities, as we say here, for worship, instruction in the word, uh, education, uh, sacraments, or whatever it's called in different churches, and care of the poor was always a function of the church, to minister to the poor. What an opportunity to evangelize when you're caring and ministering to the poor. 
Jesus said, we'll always have the poor with us. So uh, three institutions, family, church, and what else? Government, or as I prefer to list it as state. And so that also was seen as an institution. And uh, we illustrate it this way, that all three of these institutions, the circle's the same size, meaning same importance in the sense of uh, how a society is to function under God. And for 300 years, what you're seeing on this chart is the way America lived life. All of these spheres having specific duties, leaving each other to their own duties, the state primarily with responsibility for punishment of evildoers and uh, defense of its citizens, and then some general sense of well-ordering. I have a silly example for well-ordering of society. Somebody had to decide that green means go and red means stop. I mean, you gotta have that everywhere. I was in a town one time where the red light was on top and green was on the bottom. Well, that's kind of weird. But, you know, there has to be somebody that does that. Well, that's a civil uh, government uh, function. But today we have just really messed up these ideas about how these three spheres should work together. So, uh, by the way, I said this morning, I'll say it again, the charts that I use for these presentations are on our website, nehemiahinstitute.com. So you can go there and pull down these charts, most of the notes that I use for uh, doing these presentations. In the last hundred years, things begin to change. So now I go through these again, and the family circle is a little smaller. I've grayed out education because somewhere along the way we decided that education wasn't really the family duty or the church duty, it was the state duty. That change happened in our country's history. The church is even smaller yet in the sense of influence. I mentioned this morning about church attendance has gone from 85% in colonial American days to 15% today. So we need to shrink the church in an illustration regarding influence on society. And I've grayed out education here and grayed out care of the poor because that's now largely seen as it's the job of the government, take care of the poor instead of you know, the church. Well, if these three spheres represent the totality, in essence, of how a civilization is to function, and if you reduce the duties of two of them, what do you think happens to the third one? It's just plain going to mushroom and, and, and grow. And that's what we've been doing. We have been transitioning things from family and church over to the state, and the state keeps growing and growing and growing in duties. And politicians run, as we all well know, by saying things like, if you elect me, I will do this for you. We should be very concerned when you hear that. Do we really want politicians to do that for us? Because all it takes is a little more taxation, you know. Do you know, in the last hundred years, we have gone, to, regarding taxation, financing of things, we have gone from a tax rate, an overall tax rate in America, federal tax, state tax, sales tax, all kinds of other taxes, there's dozens of them, where today we have approximately a 44% tax rate in America of personal income. You know what the average tithe rate is in America, the average contribution rate in church has been this way for decades. I've read this in a number of different publications, about 
And it begs the question, why are we financing the state at 10 times the rate we finance the church? Maybe it's because we have more expectations from the state than we do of the church. See, this is what's happening to our thinking. This is the shift that's going on regarding how we think about society and how it's supposed to function. Well, what about the last several years? Uh, we go through, and uh, I just show it this way, I gray out more areas in the family and in the church, and of course the state continues to get larger and larger in its scope and control of society. And we have this invisible or this visible red line, you know, the so-called separation of church and state. Boy, has that phrase ever been messed up with an understanding. Uh, but this is a picture of what's happening. The family and church still, you know, can be kind of somehow seen under God. If there is a God, they say. But the state has today, I argue, moved to a God-defying position. I don't care what God says. So you have things like gay marriage. We don't care what the Bible says. We don't care what God says. This is the way it's supposed to be. And we're going to make you follow it. Do you know that in Canada today, there are pastors going to jail, losing their license to preach because they refuse to acknowledge and perform gay marriage? That's happening. It's probably going to be on our doorstep. This is how serious the war is that we're seeing happen in our country. So why this shift? What has happened that we have seen this shift in thinking that I talked about this morning, this shift in, uh, in ideas about how things are supposed to work, and it's simply a one-word answer. And the answer is what we call worldview. And that, by definition, you can see why. The fundamental cognitive orientation of an individual or society encompassing the entirety of the individual or society's knowledge and point of view. This, this German word uh, that, that where we get worldview uh, is, is that meaning. So, you know, with that understanding, it means literally that we all have a worldview. It's not, you cannot have a worldview because we all have to have this. We have this some way of, of, uh, of looking out and saying, here's how I think the world should work. The question is, what do we base our worldview on? If it's not based in scripture, then it will be based on some other ism of idea about the way the world should work. And that brings us to the peers test. This is what Nehemiah Institute, what I am known for mostly around the country uh, in uh, many schools that have used this worldview assessment to gauge how well are we doing with this thing called worldview. And I simply say it's this, a biblical worldview assessment program designed to assess how one views God, man, and the world around him. You stop someone on the street and say, you know, would you tell me what you think about God, man, and the world? Their answer to that, whatever it is, they're sharing their worldview with you, our ideas, God, man, and the world. The essence of that is, is what we we'll call worldview. And so the PEERS test, PEERS is an acronym standing for these five spheres, politics by which we mean government, economics, education, religion, and social issues. And uh, the development of this takes too long to share that. There's some information about that on the website. Uh, maybe afterwards, if there's time, uh, I, could, I could share that with you if you want to know more. But <clears throat> this is what we do. We show through this instrument 
are our views about these five areas based on biblical reasoning or have we bought into secular reasoning or socialist reasoning about how these areas are supposed to function? And it's interesting to me, I, I believe to you too, when you look at these five spheres of life, every people group on planet Earth has to do these five somehow. They all have to have a way to govern themselves, some way to do economics with one another, education, religion. Everybody does this. But by what principles, what basis do we operate? That's what we're getting at when we talk about biblical worldview and the purpose of the peers test, which I'll show you some results about that, is to help us know, are we thinking biblically or have we simply bought into another ism, another worldview? I argue that for the last several years, it would seem that much of the church today in America has simply centered on the R category, religion. We're gonna focus on religion and not worry about the other four. We'll let somebody else tell us how to think politically, governmentally, economically, education-wise, and even in many social issues. And I think that's a real characteristic of the problems that we're facing today is that for 100 plus years, the church has slowly stepped off of the playing field on the sidelines and letting other people define how life should work. And now it's in our face. And now it's taking our kids. So we cannot continue to do this. I say, and I tell pastors when I speak at pastors' conferences, that status quo Christianity has to stop. We've got to time out, rethink, what have we been saying, what have we not been saying, because this is going to kill a republic. This is going to make America become something that it never was if this trend continues on. Because we have continued to let other people, non-Christian, non-biblical thinking people, tell us how to believe in these other four areas. There's a sixth index that we now have on the Pierce test that we entitle limited government. Uh, this wasn't part of the original construction of the Pierce test. But as I began to analyze, which I would do every year, getting the results in of peers testing from hundreds and hundreds of schools and individuals, and looking at which of the questions were most frequently missed, I began to notice that often it was questions that had something to do with what is the purpose of government regarding this issue. And so we went back through the 70 test questions, that's what's on the peers test, and found 17 of the 70 that distinctly had something to do with what's the government's responsibility for this matter. Whether it was a political question for sure, an economic question, an education question, or some social issues question. And so we created a sixth category and call it limited government. So when you do the peers test, which I'm going to talk about uh, the possibility of that, uh, you get a scorecard that gives you a rating on your worldview in these five spheres, plus a rating on a sixth index that we call limited government. That has become an extremely relevant index. It is where we get the highest scores and the lowest scores. And I have become convinced that what that is telling us is that our view of authority, our view of who's in charge, is largely shaping our overall worldview. You know, when we as Christians, we say we recognize God is the supreme authority. 
But is he the supreme authority over all things, or is it just this narrow view of what we you know, call religion? So this is the way it looks. Um, the, the test will show you, do you believe in a limited view of civil government, where the duties are primarily limited to defense of citizens and punishment of evildoers, or do you hold to a very expansive view of government where government's supposed to do everything? You know, when a problem shows up today, the knee-jerk reaction is almost always, what's the government going to do about it? Why is it not, what's the church going to do about it? We just, we're not even at the table. We don't have a seat at the table anymore. That's just because we've, we've transitioned away from thinking that's part of our responsibility regarding development of civilization. So that's part of the problem we're facing. What the Pierce test is not, important to see this, is it's not a, a test of Bible knowledge, you know, people, places, and things. You can find a lot of quizzes about that online. That's not what the Pierce test is. It's not a gauge of whether or not you are a Christian. We make that very clear. Uh, we put that disclaimer on a Pierce results. We're not trying to say by a test that you are a Christian and you're not. We, that's not at all what we're doing. It's not a measure of how holy you are. Or it's not a measure of how much you love Jesus. What the Pierce test is, is an instrument that tells us how we think the world should work in these five peers categories, politics, economics, education, religion, and social issues. The question then becomes, well, is the Pierce test valid? Why should we listen to you? Who made you the author of truth regarding these areas? Why should we pay attention to the results that you say is my worldview? A very fair question. In fact, when we started working, it was with uh, high school students. And a few years into this, I received a call one day from a Christian college. And they had heard about the Pierce test, found it interesting. And their first question was, is, has your test been determined to be valid? I didn't even know what that meant. I said, well, of course it's valid. You know, it's, it's based on the Bible. Well, that isn't what he meant. So there is a process you have to go through to determine if an assessment is valid and reliable. There's actually a process to do that. So we went through three different processes to determine is the peers test really an instrument that can be trusted to do what it proclaims to do. So we spent a lot of money and a lot of time in going through that. And I'm going to show you the results of one of those uh, because now the peers test is used by Christian colleges and universities from the smallest to the largest. We've worked with uh, Liberty University, for example, and very small, many independent Baptist uh, colleges have used this. <clears throat> in my home state of Minnesota, uh, there was a college in Pillsbury, uh, Pillsbury Institute uh, in Owatonna, Minnesota, I think it was, that was an independent Baptist school, and it's not there anymore. But one of the ways that you do that is with something called construct validity. And so we did this. Um, and the way that works is you find two different groups of people that are as far apart as you think you can get them. So uh, we did this. And uh, because of the earlier work I had been doing, I worked with Pat Robertson for a couple of years on some projects they were doing that you would call worldview. And I got to know a number of different Christian ministry leaders. And we contacted them to have them take the peers test. Not because we doubted where they were at, of course, but we wanted to see if the peers test would show that they have a good, mature, biblical worldview. So these were professors in Christian universities. They were heads of Christian ministries. They were writing uh, books on, on, on Christian worldview stuff. 
And we had about 35 of these individuals uh, take the peers test. And so uh, we had part of our construct validity, that was one group, okay, of individuals. We know who they are. Does the peers test show that, you know, who they are? So here's their scores. Very good scores. 70 is our benchmark for a biblical worldview. If you score 70 and higher on the peers test, rest easy. You've got a good biblical worldview. That's just the way that the whole thing is designed, which I don't have time to go into tonight. But look at the category that their highest score was in, limited government. Very high. That was really impressive to me that they saw the importance of limited civil government. And uh, none of the 35 scored below 70, not one of them. A few of them scored 100. And then, you know, they, they just saw some things differently or, or whatever. So I was really elated with this, that here are these nearly three dozen biblical scholars answered the test, all the same, and the results show that they're scoring well into the biblical worldview range, which is, you know, again, we knew that's where they were coming from. So this was just showing that the test was designed to reflect that in a good way. So then we had to get another group of people that we knew would be the opposite of that. And the way I did that was we ran ads one summer for three months in two magazines. One was the Humanist magazine and the other the New Age magazine. We simply made the assumption if you are a subscriber to those magazines, you probably have a different worldview than Christians. Fair enough? You know, but that's what we think about them. When you read their publications, they have monthly journals, and you read their stuff, oh, man, it is, it is heart-wrenching and terrifying to read what they write themselves about how they think the world's supposed to work. So I wanted, again, to see if their views, if the peers tests would reflect that. So we ran these ads, even had some of the staff people of the two organizations. The Humanist Magazine is put out of Buffalo, New York. The New Age Magazine is put out of Austin, Texas. Called them, told them what I was doing. And, uh, of course, they were happy to have somebody pay to get an ad. And the ad says something about, you know, call for a free philosophy of life, da-da-da-da-da, something, you know, non-biblical phrasing. And about 300 people wrote in and wanted to take this test. So we had a lot of data from 300 people reading the Humanist Magazine, the New Age Magazine. Would you like to see their results? I'll bet you that. Let me show you that. So, humanists and new agers. By the way, our test goes from minus 100 to plus 100. Not like the test you've all taken, zero to 100. The reason we didn't want zero is because we didn't want a test that you scored zero would imply you have no worldview. That's not possible. So we put it on a scale, minus 100 to plus 100. Well, here are the results of 300 people who read the humanist magazine and the new age magazine, or all below zero especially in religion. I was so happy. <laughs> Not because they're believing bad stuff, but because it was showing once again that the Pierce test was designed to reflect a worldview that was of the opposite kind. So that really made the Pierce test of much more, uh, of have higher validity, that it clearly delineates between a biblical worldview like our biblical scholars friends did and these humanist friends that were completely on the other side. So then I like to show them side by side like this. Our biblical scholars saying, you know, this is the way to go, and our humanist friends saying, no, 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 this is the way to go. Clearly, two different bodies of thought about the way life should work. 
Would you agree with that? Of course, it's just so obvious. Same test, same 70 questions. The biblical scholars read those and say, okay, here's, here's what's right or wrong. Here's the statements I agree with, here's the statements I disagree with. The humanists, the New Agers, almost the opposite. Then it raises the question, which group is having the most influence on society? That's where we are failing. We have just given it over to them. They didn't have to fight for it. We've given over. You guys define how we're going to do life in these other spheres. We'll concentrate on religion. So I say that with a little bit of a critical tone. I'm not trying to be mean-spirited at all, but I'm trying to say, church, we've done this. We've let these other folks that believe it's nonsense to believe in a God who's not there and to read a book that's full of myth, we've let those folks tell us how we should think politically, governmentally, economically, education-wise. So these problems that we're all upset about have been building for years because we said, you can, you can have it. We don't care. You do that. You tell us how it should work. And now they say, you have to do it. You have to obey us. You have to do what we say because we've given them the authority. So we don't like that. But hey, we did it to ourselves. Now I want to show you some peers' results of different groups. This is heart-wrenching. Now on the left, there's six different groups here. You can't read that fine print, I know, so I'm going to tell you that. The left group are these biblical scholars that I mentioned. 35, 36 biblical scholars. That's one-tenth of a percent of our peers' audience for 30 years. Score right about 90, 91, 92. That's really good, really good. The second is pastors of churches, right above our minimum for biblical worldview. So we're happy they're above the red line. I mean, that's, that's, I get nervous when it's below the red line. Uh, that's 1% of our audience. Now, most of those pastors, there are several hundred. They're pastors of churches that have a Christian school. So they say, well, if our school is going to use the peers test, if our teachers are going to use the peers test, I guess I better take the peers test and see how I do. See if I'm going to like our school taking the Pierce test. So that's what most of these pastors are. So six or 700 pastors here, 1% of our peers' audience, and right above you know, the minimum. We'd like to see it in the 80s, 90s. Some of them do. The next is faculty of Christian schools. So 3% of our peers' work is faculty of Christian schools, several hundred. In the mid-range of moderate Christian, that's not strong enough. Next to that are just adults in general, uh, people like yourselves that find us somehow and they take the Pierce test, they're intrigued about it. And so teachers and parents or adults, right about the same. 4% of our audience is that. The problem begins to show up with the next group, which is Christian college students. 7% of our audience for 30 years are thousands of students from Christian colleges, as I mentioned. Uh, large, small Christian colleges and universities and their average score through last year is below the minimum in a biblical worldview. 30 to 70, the way it's designed, we call it a moderate Christian worldview. You got some sense of a Christian worldview. You go below 30, now you have to start buying into some humanistic ideas. You can't score below 30 without agreeing with some humanistic ideas. That's where our Christian college students are at. And next to them, our largest audience, 85%, of the 125,000 people who have taken the Pierce test are students of high schools, Christian high schools, mostly. 
some public schools. I'll explain that in a moment. So this is, this is really problematic because you remember the verse, I think it's Luke 6.35 that says a student should not be greater than his master. Right, remember that? Well, how are we going to get our students up into the 70s and 80s and 90s if our teachers are in the 40s? It won't work. So there's an enormous amount of work that has to be done with teacher training, which is what FACE does better than anybody else in the world, is teacher training. Max will address that in a moment. So this is the crisis that we say we're facing in America, because what our biblical scholars say is this is the way to believe about biblical worldview and pastors to a large degree. We're not passing that on to the next generation. We're just not. Whatever we're doing, we're not impacting our youth with a Christian worldview. So they leave home believing in things that we say, no, wait a minute, that's not right. But, you know, we haven't addressed that. We just haven't made that part of our focus and who we are as a church to address ideas of how to think biblically about all these other areas. It's just what's happened to the church in America and around the world, really. So then I like to show you this chart which is a look at how results have been uh, year by year been going on. Uh, so I'm showing two groups in here uh, of high school students. These are all high school students from Christian homes, all of them. The lower one, the lower results are students from Christian homes going to public school. And the way we get that is by testing youth groups in churches just like yours where most of the kids are usually in public school. Not uncommon to find the whole youth group goes to public school. Sometimes some Christian school, sometimes homeschooling, but the great majority of them go to public school. So I'm not surprised to see those results going lower year by year by year. But what's tragic is the next group are Christian schools, what we call now traditional Christian schools. And they're always 15, 20 points higher, but going down at about the same rate. Now, why would biblical worldview results be going down year by year in Christian schools? Because they're not addressing what we call biblical worldview. They're not training their teachers. They're not using the right curriculum. They're just pulling curriculum off the shelf from other places. And they're not addressing the problems that the kids are being hit with on social media. And so here we have seen kids from Christian schools going down at the same approximate rate. This is a sad, sad indictment on who we are as a people. And so I show in the last few years, I draw this box around the last few years, and I say, I don't know if you can see that, 90% of the youth of churches in America live in that box. Let me say that again, 90% of the evangelical world, that's our world of churches, 90% of those kids, of which 85% are in public schools, about 12% are in Christian schools, 90% of them by scores live in this box that is deep into the world of secular humanism. This is, this is not good. This is why it's time out time, because we're missing the boat. And, and, and I said this morning, I'll say it again, pastors lament over this when knowing that their kids leave home after 18 years and within a short time frame, church, faith, Bible reading, prayer is gone. And this is why. 
It's just not in their makeup. It's not their worldview to be sticking with that. Now, that's not in, true in every church, of course. Maybe things are much better in your church. Uh, I don't know. We haven't worked with your church. I'm going to be talking to your leadership about that. But we should want to know this. Because when you look at it this way, here again I'm showing the biblical scholars' scores, results in blue, and our humanist New Age friends in green, very different worldviews. And year by year by year, our youth are going that way. In other words, they're going away from what these biblical scholars believe, and they're going in favor of what our humanist New Age friends believe. I cannot think of a more serious problem for the church than this. Because this is saying the lights are going out. The lights are going out just like I alluded to this morning when I said that in Europe today, 5% of the continent is in church. 5%. You know what's happened to the church buildings that were built over the last several centuries? I refer to it as the 3M problem. The churches are converted to malls, museums, and horror of horrors, mosques. I mean, think about this. Here's the continent of Europe where the Christian faith was brought to planet Earth, and today 5% still believe that? We're not, we're not, something's missing. We've just, we've got to change. Here's an example I talked about earlier, a mission statement that reads, you can't see this, I'll read it. This is what this mission statement says on the Christian school's website. It's in Texas. Helping students to develop a biblical worldview framework through timeless principles and truth which will lay a solid foundation for their future. Beautiful. Wonderful mission statement. Christian schools of all kinds have similar kind of wordings. You know, it varies a little bit. But they say these very flowery words about what we're going to do with our students. So we gave this school the peers test. Uh, 30 or 40 some seniors took the peers test and this was their results. Below 30 in every category. Below zero in three categories. Especially the limited government one. So how do you do that? How do you have a mission statement that says Man, we're, we got a home run here. You put your kids here, they're going to be in great shape for life. And then you see results like this. How can that be? What's not clicking with the administration, with the faculty, with the parents, that they send away their seniors with results like this? This is why the Pierce test is so valuable, because it's, a, it's an exam of how we think. You know when you're really sick, you go to your doctor, and he says, I think we should take some x-rays, see what's going on. So he takes x-rays, you come back later and say, well, here's what I see. That's what the peers test is like. It's a bit of a look at inside of you. What's going on? What are your thoughts? How do you think things should work? And schools use it. And unfortunately, somewhat understandably, but unfortunately, most of the schools we work with, this is something that's common, not maybe as bad as this, but similar. Whoa, you don't want to go there. Um, so they get the results back, and you know, uh, a lot of them just bury the results. They, they just don't want to deal with it. Uh, or they might call and say, what do you recommend? And so we point them to face, because that's what works well. 
but it's hard. Uh, so we've helped a number of schools improve, but a lot of them, it's just too hard. They don't want to deal with the teachers. They don't want to deal with the parents. They don't want to deal with the students to change their thinking. So they keep doing the same thing, getting the same results. It's really tragic. Uh, so some good results. I'll be through here in a minute. I'm going to have Max come up. Uh, the public school on the bottom, the green, is the moderate Christian. That's the, what we call traditional Christian schools. But the other, the, the gold bars, as they're kind of, that's the result of the schools that use the education program that's put out by the Foundation for American Christian Education five minutes away. What a treasure you guys have that has the top Christian education program in the world, and I say that unabashedly, it's true. They're right here, take advantage of it, because they're producing results that look like this year after year after year. It's just remarkable. I mean, it's just very different, but I'm telling you right up front, it's not more expensive, but it's more difficult. And so it's hard for teachers, it's harder for students, Although if they start in elementary grades, it becomes not a big deal. The way they teach is not just content. It's not just curriculum. It's methods. How they teach. That's what makes the big difference. And this organization has it. In fact, they really uncovered what was going on in the colonial period, which produced the, such the giants then. I talk about this verse. I showed that this morning. I won't go through that again about renewing our minds. I do want to show you the two products that we have out here. Uh, the Pillars course is our primer on worldview. It follows the peers test. So it teaches on those five spheres uh, and has some other good information in it. And the second one that's out here is called political correctness. Now this one is really significant. This is our latest publication. It tells the story of how the Frankfurt School from Germany, built by Marxists, fled Germany in 1930, moved to America, set up shop in Columbia University, New York City, hooked up with John Dewey, of all people, the father of public education. So here's John Dewey. He had built a teacher college system. Remember colleges we used to have? They were called teacher colleges. Now they're part of the university system. And so they hooked up, and Dewey had the distribution system. The Marxists had the ideology. It was the perfect storm. And so for decades, that's what's been going on. They have captured education, and their ideology is now completely through K-16 education. What's going on in elementary schools today is because that's the way the Marxists wanted it to be, to destroy the Christian faith. So what about you? What's your worldview? I'm going to be talking to the pastors about uh, what we do with churches to help an audience like yours do the peers test with three different groups. This is what I've been doing the last several months, working with churches, and we set it up so that the staff gets a peers testing session, the members get a peers testing session, and your high school youth. And we give you the results of those three groups. And just, you know, just look at your own internal comparison. Where are your pastors at? Where is the flock in general at? And where are your youth at? You should want to know that. I tell Christians everywhere, we should be the most transparent people on planet Earth because we should want to know if what we believe is offending our Savior. Wouldn't we want to know that? 
Because that, I, that verse from Isaiah, your thoughts are not my thoughts, my thoughts are not your thoughts, we should want to know that. And here's an instrument, it's not perfect, but it'll help you see, is your thinking in these areas somewhat in alignment with Scripture? Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.